We meet today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to verse 18. The coming of Christ is a comforting hope. We have now come to the next section of this epistle, a section which has been labeled one of the most important prophetic passages in the scriptures. This passage teaches the imminent and impending coming of Christ for his church. That does not mean the immediate or soon coming of Christ. Paul never uses an expression like that. He did not want people to assume it would be in their own lifetime or shortly afterward. It has been more than 2,000 years now. But when we say that the coming of Christ is imminent, we mean that it is approaching or that it is the next event on the agenda of God's program. Now, Paul makes it very clear that he believed in the imminent return of Christ. In verse 15 of this chapter, he says, We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, that is evidence of his belief in the imminent return of Christ. He believed that the Lord Jesus could come in his time. I want you to know that I'm emphasizing the fact that he believed that the Lord Jesus could he did not say or believe that the Lord Jesus would come in his lifetime. There is a big difference here. But he said that he could come. This was the attitude he expressed even when he wrote to Titus. In Titus 2 verse 13, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Paul labeled this coming of Christ for his church when we are to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, he labeled it the rapture of the church. Now there are people today who hold a different view. They say that the Bible does not teach the rapture and that one cannot find that word in the New Testament. Well, I would like to insist that that word is there. It is found in this chapter in verse 17. Verse 17 says, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall be with the Lord forever. Now, the Greek word translated as caught up here is hapazo. And now it means catch up or grasp hastily, to snatch up, to lift, to transport, or to rapture. So rapture is just as good a word as caught up. It is a matter of semantics. Whichever word you would choose to use, the idea is there. So the fact is that the Bible teaches that believers in Christ are to be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Paul taught the rapture of the church. Now if you would like, you could say that he believed in the hapazo. That's the original Greek word, and it means rapture, and it means caught up. Nonetheless, the point is that the rapture of the church can take place at any moment. It is the next happening in God's program, on God's agenda. However, the primary consideration in our study here is actually not the rapture as such. The precise question Paul is answering here is, 
What about believers who have died before the rapture has taken place, before the caught-up process has taken place? Now, for us to understand Paul's answer to this question, we need to review the background to this epistle in order for us to understand why this question was so important to the Thessalonian believers. Part of the background is this. When Paul went to Thessalonica on his second missionary journey, which is actually recorded in Acts chapter 17, verse 2, tells us specifically he was there for three Sabbath days, and he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Paul was there with them for three Sabbaths. That means Paul was there less than a month. In that month's time, he performed what I would call a Herculean task. He did the work of a missionary. He preached the gospel. Converts were made. And he established a church. Then he taught these new believers the great truths of the Christian faith. He taught them the scriptures. And it is very interesting that he even taught them of the rapture of the church. There was in one of his class in just three months a class on eschatology. Isn't that amazing? It is very clear that Paul taught the Thessalonians that the rapture of the church might occur at any moment, that it was imminent. Then Paul left Thessalonica. He went to Berea, established a church there, and was there for some time. Then he took a ship and went over to Athens. We don't know how long he was at Athens. But we know he was waiting for Timothy and Silas to bring him word from Thessalonica. They didn't come, and he went down to Corinth. After he was there at Corinth for a while, Timothy and Silas came. They came with questions from the Thessalonian believers. Those questions, they had been brought to Paul so that Paul would answer them. Now, Paul wrote first Thessalonians to encourage them and to answer their specific questions with regard to the rapture of the church. During this unknown interval of time after Paul had left them, some of the saints in Thessalonica had died, and a question arose in the minds of the believers. Those who had died, had they missed the rapture? What will happen to them? Obviously, Paul had taught them the imminent coming of Christ, or this question would not be pertinent at all. Paul had told them that the Lord Jesus might come at any moment, and these saints had died, and the Lord hadn't come, had they missed the rapture. What would happen to them? Paul gives the answer to this question in this epistle. He had taught the Thessalonian believers that the coming of Christ was imminent, and it is still what we believe today. Between where we are right this moment and the coming of Christ for the church, it is a tissue thin, which means it could happen any moment, even before you finish listening to my talk right now. Or the coming of Christ could be way down in the future. All these possibilities are there. Now, the Thessalonian believers concerned about the saints who had died before rapture had taken place. What did they do? They asked a question. We need to keep that in mind 
as we go through the rest of this chapter that Paul is answering this important question. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep. Obviously, he is informing them here. And then the word sleep is a euphemism for death. But this does not indicate soul sleep as some purport. Paul makes it very clear elsewhere that at the moment of death, one is immediately ushered into the presence of God. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8. Jesus' words to the thief on the cross also convey this assurance in Luke chapter 23 verse 39 to 43. So Paul is suggesting that death is like sleep for the believer because one, it is a temporary state, two, it is a restful state, and three, it is a state from which one awakes. Daniel 12 verse 2 uses the same metaphor to speak of death and resurrection. So, Asleep here refers only to the body and never to the soul or the spirit of man, because the spirit of man does not die. We shall note that as we move through this section, but first I would like to mention several reasons that the death of the body is spoken of as being asleep here. Let's look at it. There is also a similarity between sleep and death. A dead body and a sleeping body are actually very similar. I'm sure you have been to a funeral where someone has remarked, making a comment after people had done a body viewing, and someone would say, so and so looks just as if he were asleep. Well, in a way, it is very true. The body of a believer is asleep. A sleeper does not cease to exist and the inference, therefore, is that the dead do not cease to exist just because the body is asleep. Sleep is temporary. Death is also temporary. Sleep has its working. Death has its resurrection. It is not that life is existence and death is non-existence, you see. I also observe the second thing. The word which is translated asleep has its root in the Greek word kemai, which means to lie down. And the very interesting thing is that the word for resurrection is a word that refers only to the body. It is anastasis, and it comes from the Greek word histenai, which means to stand, and ana, the preposition up. So that means to stand up. It is only the body which can stand up in the resurrection. And of course, when someone is getting onto an operation table for a procedure, the surgeon would come and an anesthetist would come and put them to sleep. But what will happen once the anesthetist has been removed, anesthesia has been removed, the person must stand up, must wake up the resurrection. Thirdly, the Bible teaches that the body returns to the dust from which it was taken, but the spirit returns to God who gave it. Even the Old Testament teaches this. 
In Ecclesiastes 12 verse 7 we read, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return to God who gave it. The dust that is our body, it is dust. God told Adam, For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Genesis 3 verse 19 It was the body that was taken from the dust, and then God breathed into men the breath of life, or the spirit, you see. It is the body that will go to sleep until the resurrection. Only the body, not the soul. The spirit of a believer will return to the Lord. The spirit or the soul does not die. And therefore the spirit or the soul is not raised. Only the body can lie down in death. And only the body can stand up in resurrection. Now this is quite obvious when Paul says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 8. The body is merely a frail tent that is laid aside temporarily in death. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1 Paul tells us, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now the Greek word for the tabernacle here is skenos, which means a tent. The bodies that we live in, my friend, are tents. I have news for you. <laughs> you may live in a very expensive home, but the place where you really live is a little tent. God put every single one of us in a tent. Into a tent we stay. It is not a matter of some living in a shack and some living in a mansion. We all have been given the same kind of a tent. Every one of us lives in a tent. It can be blown down at any moment. If you don't believe that, step in front of a car or in, the, in front of a coming train and you will find that your tent will fold up and suddenly slip away. Our bodies are actually frail. And because they are frail in these bodies, we groan. Second Corinthians 5 verse 2 tells us, For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. For we who are in this tabernacle groan. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 4. Why? We groan within our tents because they are frail, they are temporary. Have you discovered that? Paul also wrote, So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Second Corinthians 5 verse 6 and 7 Now we are at home in this body. This is where we live. People don't really get to see us, and you know we are hidden in our bodies. We hide behind our bodies. Paul goes on to say, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Second Corinthians 5 verse 8. Now, I can't think of anything lovelier than that. Daniel writing, speaking about death in chapter 12 verse 2. And he said, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, 
some to shame and everlasting contempt. You see, dust will go to dust. That's the body, but the spirit goes to God who sent it. The fourth observation is that the early Christians adopted a very wonderful word for the bearing places of their loved ones. The Greek word koimetorion, which means a rest house for strangers, a sleeping place. That is the word they used. It is the same word from which we get our English word symmetry. The same word was used in that day for inns or what we could call a hotel or a motel. People go to the hotel expecting to get up the next day and continue their journey. This is the picture of the place where you bury your believing ones, believing loved ones. You bury them there in a place where they are simply passing through. You don't weep when you have a friend who goes and spends a weekend at a Hilton or Sheraton hotel, do you? No, you rejoice with them. The body of the believer has just been put into a motel until the resurrection. One day the Lord Jesus is coming and that body is going to be raised up. The Karanga people, which is a Shona dialect in Zimbabwe, call uh, the place where they bury their dead, Kumarinda, meaning the place of waiting. Basically, the waiting is the waiting for the resurrection. So you can even see how different cultures have actually mastered that death is not the final say. It is not the final voice in the life of a child of God. Now let us now return to our consideration of the actual text of verse 13. He says, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. In Thessalonica, they have found there an inscription that says, after death, no reviving, after the grave, no meeting again. The Greek poet Theocritus wrote, hopes are among the living, the dead are without hope. You see, that was the belief of the ancient world. It is a pretty pessimistic and doleful one. Believers are not to sorrow as the pagans. Now, when I conduct any funeral service, I can tell by the way people weep whether they have hope or not. Christians weep, of course. There is nothing wrong with that. Paul never says that the believers are not to weep. What he does say is that we are not to mourn as the others who have no hope. A Christian has a sorrow at the death of a loved one, but he also has hope. Here is First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14 to verse 17. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Amazing. The certainty of the resurrection of Jesus Christ here is the basis 
for our confidence in a future resurrection. The rapture or the catching up of the true church is the next great event in the redemptive plan and purpose of God. Several aspects of that event are outlined in this section. At first, at the return of Christ for his people, those who have died in Christ will come with Jesus. Secondly, those who are still living at that time will not have the advantage over those who have died in the Lord. Those living will not precede the dead in Christ to heaven. That's in verse 15. These later saints will rise first, indicating the resurrection of the physical body and the rejoining of soul and body. They are summoned by the Lord's trumpet call. Thirdly, those still living at the time of Christ's return for the saints will actually be caught up, rendering the Greek word hapazome, which is really a rapture or to seize. The Latin Vulgan rendered this by the verb rapti, where we get our word rapture. The word implies an immediate translation of believers, including the change of their bodies to a glorified state. Now, there are three kinds of death in scripture. There is the physical death, which is the separation of the spirit from the body. That is what we ordinarily call death. Adam didn't actually die physically until 930 years after the fall. Then there is the spiritual death. Paul says that to be carnally minded is death, which is separation from God. This is what happened to men in the Garden of Eden when God said that men would die in the day he ate of the fruit. Men became separated from God. Adam hid from God. He ran from God. When God came in the garden, there was now separation between them. Adam did die the day he ate the fruit, a spiritual death. Paul describes this spiritual death in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 as, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. The third death is eternal death. This is eternal separation from God. This is the second death described in Revelation 20 verse 14 as, Then death and Hades are cast away into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So the death that we are talking about is simply the sleeping of the death or the separation of the body and the spirit. But that is those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be raised. They have hope. Death will not reign over those. And Paul therefore said, Therefore comfort one another with these words. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 18. Does he say, therefore, terrify one another with these words? Of course not. My Bible says, therefore, comfort one another. It is not only means to comfort in the usual sense of the word, but it also a means to instruct and to exhort one another and to talk about these things. We can comfort one another. We can exhort one another even when death. Why? Because we have hope. It's a comforting hope. My friend, Jesus is going to take his own out of this world someday. What a glorious, wonderful comfort this is. The bodies of the dead 
will be lifted out. Then whoever is alive at that time will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord Jesus in the air. So we shall be with the Lord. In fact, we shall come back with him to the earth to reign with him at the time he sets up his kingdom. What a prospect. What a glorious future. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please send a WhatsApp message or SMS to plus two seven seven two six four one four four seven five. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. I'll repeat that number for you. It's country code 27 followed by 72641-4475. From within South Africa, it's 072-641-4475.